I'm going to go back to First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, because what we're doing is we're talking about the the agents of sanctification. And if you've been in church at all in your life, you know that sanctification is a, a highfalutin theological term. But I want to bring it down to its practical level for us. All it means is separation from sin in this world and separation unto God for His purposes. And how many know He still has a purpose for your life? Now, to fulfill that purpose, you have to go through that process of sanctification. Now, sanctification is both, both instantaneous, say instantaneous, and it's progressive. It started when you got born again, and it continues to this day. And by agents of sanctification, we're talking about those things in Scripture, those things that the Word of God points out that affect sanctification in us. Now, if you want to wrap your, your mind around this, just think of it this way, that God is changing you every single day. That process of sanctification means you are different than you are today than you were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, depending on how long you've been saved. And it's ongoing in your life. And it's valuable to Him. Another way to think about sanctification is just to think about it this way. It's becoming more like Jesus. Turn to somebody and smile and say, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Now unfortunately some people in the world today are becoming less like Jesus. Or they seem to be at a standstill. Sanctification is not really you know, progressing in their life. That's not God's will for you and for me. So the Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at verse 1, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we request and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel even more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus Christ. Now again, we are, we're taught in Scripture to excel at certain things. This Scripture is teaching us to excel in sanctification. In other words, go to the highest level possible in your sanctification, in your separation from the world, in your separation unto the Lord, becoming more like Christ, that you excel, in other words, in becoming like Christ. What a wonderful thought that is. Well, in reality, that's what He is doing. And one day He'll complete the process Himself in the end times. But as we live out our lives on earth, we should be excelling in sanctification. He goes on to say, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, one translation says the heathen, and that no one violate the rights or take advantage of a brother or sister in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you previously and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification. Therefore the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Everybody say thank God. So in other words, if this is rejected um, and sanctification does not progress, you're not rejecting some theologian or some church. You're rejecting what God has to say about this and with great peril and with great consequence. And so we talked to you about the agency of the Father. And how does the Father sanctify? The Father sanctifies us as we remember how much He loves us and how good He is and how kind He is. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And God uses His love and His kindness to draw us in, just like the prodigal, you know, story of the prodigal son. The father's out there looking for Him, longing for Him, and He's already planned a robe and a ring and shoes and a feast. Say it with me, a robe and a ring and shoes and a feast. That was already pre-planned. 
just waiting for him to come back down that road. That's the Father's heart, and it sanctifies us. We also found out that the blood is an agent of sanctification. You and I were sanctified instantly by the blood of Jesus, and now that blood still works for us today. The challenge last week was to tell you that the blood just won't work after you sin. The blood will prevent you from sinning if you'll plead it. When you're under pressure and you want to respond in the flesh and you want to let somebody have it, if you'll just plead the blood, not after you blow it, but before, amen, it will preserve you and protect you. And the blood is working today. Turn to somebody and tell them, the blood is working today. It's not the blood of some animal that has sanctified you. It is the blood of the Son of God, amen, the perfect spotless Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. Now that same blood just doesn't bring forgiveness, but it makes you Christ-like. Aren't you thankful for the blood? You know, in the Old Testament, the saints there didn't have what you and I have. They didn't have the force of the blood of Jesus Christ. You and I have it now, so therefore we can become like Him and live like Him and think like Him. What a powerful thing that is. Then we talked about how the Word of God itself, Jesus was praying for His disciples, and He prayed that they would be sanctified you know, by, his, by God's truth. And he went on to say that the Word of God is that truth. And what we learned last week is that as you spend more and more time in the Word of God, it will separate you from things. If you'll just take the time and stay in the Word of God, you'll find things dropping off of your life. Now when you first got born again, how many can remember some things that fell off of you pretty quickly? For some of you, that was certain substances or certain behaviors or certain mindsets or attitudes. You know, some of you could make a, a sailor blush with your mouth. But you got born again, and all of a sudden you talk different. And if you're not talking any different, then you should see me for counseling right after service. Amen. Well, cast that foul mouth out of you in Jesus' name. But in your life, you're going to find out that not everything just falls off automatically. Amen. But if you'll stay in the Word of God, it will separate you from things and separate you unto things. I think it's one of the reasons why the enemy works so hard to keep people out of God's Word. Keep them so busy, keep them running around chasing their tails so they don't spend time in that which would sanctify you. Can I help you out here? You know, there's some good things in programming out there in television, but can I tell you something? Netflix will never separate you from the things of this world. The newspaper won't do it. Time Magazine won't do it. Theolo theological books won't do it. Contrary to popular belief, it's not the thoughts of men that separate you from sin. It's the thoughts of God that separate you from sin. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that man has the power to do that in your life. So all the things you're doing, they may be somewhat important. They may be somewhat respectable. But ask yourself a question. Am I doing anything today that's actually going to separate me more unto God than I already am? And if you're doing a bunch of that stuff, it's time maybe to reevaluate those priorities and let the Word have a bigger place in your heart. Am I in a crowd today that still believes the Word of God is infallible, it's inerrant, it is the Word of God? Can I have a bigger amen than that? Think about what you just said. You just said you believe that God has preserved the Word of God for our benefit, that it is without error, amen, it is infallible in its original autographs, and you can count on its integrity. The Word is powerful, the Bible says in Hebrews. It's actually alive. And part of that ability and part of that life is to separate us from things we have no business being a part of. So if you're struggling with something, don't come out of the Word of God. Well, I feel you know, dirty and I'm in the Word. I shouldn't be in the No, you need to be in the Word because you feel dirty. And it will separate you from things that you need to be separated from. I tell you, it's one of the most sophisticated you know, attacks of the enemy 
trying to get the people of God out of the Word for whatever reason, having people down the Word of God, question the Word of God, try to somehow attack the Word of God so their confidence will be low and they won't be in it. How diabolical, because it's the Word of God. You need to live a consistently separated life unto the Lord. Amen? Say that with me in Jesus' name. I'm in the Word. And the Word is separating me from this world, from sin, and unto the Lord. And I tell you that uh, as we move forward today to talk to you about the Spirit of God's role in sanctification, I want you just to be all ears, have your spirit, amen, on, on active, ready to hear what has to be said because the Spirit of God is a powerful advocate for your sanctification. But if it's not spun correctly, in other words, if it's not taught correctly based on the Word of God, people seem to think that this is somehow a problem for me. If the Spirit of God is dealing with me, I must be a terrible person. I want to say it again. You and I think we're one way, and then there's the way that God knows we are. And it is His mercy that He does not reveal to you everything that's wrong with you. Now, there are people who think it's their duty to reveal everything that's wrong with you. But look at somebody and say, you are not my Holy Ghost. Come on, say, I am not the Holy Ghost. This is the business of the Spirit of God to actually sanctify and, and draw us unto Him and separate us from the things of this world. Now the believer has a role to play, and we'll talk about that. But I want to just help you understand this, that the Spirit of God sanctifies us by conviction and by power, he separates us from that which grieves the heart of God. Now, what's, what's interesting is there are people who believe, well, if, if I sin, the Holy Spirit is going to leave me. Can I give you some, some tips here? The Holy Spirit is not going to leave you because you sin, because if the Holy Spirit leaves you when you sin, you are done. There won't be any impetus, any interest any desire whatsoever to live clean in a dirty world if the Spirit of God were to depart from you. I want you to see this in Psalm uh, 51. And how many know David knew a little bit about sin and compromise? But he also teaches us about the sanctifying power of the Spirit of God when we do blow it. And Psalm 51, he says... In verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Anybody have an amen out there? Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or faithful spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Amen. Now, if you look at that and just read that on the surface without revelation on that scripture, you'll think, oh, okay, so it's possible for the Spirit of God to be taken from us. You're missing the point. What David is really saying here is, I don't ever want you to stop your convicting power in my life. I don't ever want to be without conviction. 
What you did when I crossed the line with Bathsheba and conspiracy and murder and you sent your prophet and he pointed his finger in my face and he told a story about the man who had everything and you took away what, what little one man had and he said, you are the man after David burned with anger and he repented. You say, is that a big deal? Yes, because when King Uzziah was questioned and cross-examined for offering incense in the temple, he didn't repent, he became furious. When Saul was dealt with about his disobedience, he made excuses and blamed others and hemmed and hauled and finally got around to accepting responsibility. You and I can't be people that respond inappropriately to the Spirit of God, but know this, He is there, not to harm you, not to hurt you, not to throw you under the bus. Listen very carefully to what I'm saying to you. The Holy Spirit does not cancel people. That Spirit is not of God. You think it's okay because a, a new mindset comes into the world? If somebody makes a mistake, just destroy them, ruin their reputation, throw them under a bus. That's not of the Holy Ghost. And God help us for getting into the church of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be love and mercy, not canceling. Come on, say this. The Holy Ghost does not cancel. He does convict. And thank God that he does. We see David's heart also in Psalm 32, if you want to turn over there. The Holy Spirit is tremendously involved in our sanctification. As you're turning there, how many are glad that you got born again one day? Yes. Holy Spirit moved in. How many glad he also baptized you in the Holy Spirit? Yes. That means he's in you and upon you. And it means that more of his presence means more potential for conviction. One of the first things you'll find out when you actually receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost is you don't get away with stuff you used to get away with. And you know what? That's a blessing. He says... In verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, now here what we have going on. We have action, and then we have conviction, and then we have silence or resistance on the part of the man of God. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And now we have a change. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. We have the action of sin. We have the conviction of the Spirit of God. We have resistance. And now we have someone acknowledging or responding to that conviction. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to your God while you may be found. Surely the rising of the waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The point is that the scripture is that same grace is available today. Yeah. That when we're under conviction, we need to respond. Not in five days, ten years, but immediately. Turn to somebody and tell them, respond immediately to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now remember that it's God's will, according to Paul's theology, that we be sanctified body, soul, and spirit. Say that with me, body, body 
soul, and spirit. We understand according to Scripture that your spirit man, although you may neglect it in terms of its health because you're not feasting on the Word of God in God's presence, your spirit man is already conforming to the image of Christ. But your body has some work. Can I have an amen? amen. And your soul has some work. In other words, conviction may hit you in terms of what you're doing with the body, with the mind, with the will, and the emotions. Say that with me. My body, my mind, my will, and my emotions. Your body should be kept in a place of purity. Your mind should be replacing your thoughts with God's thoughts. Amen. You should not be running your life by what you feel, but by what God says. And you should not be pursuing your will. You should be pursuing God's will. You want to know one of the biggest hang-ups in the body of Christ today is? You say, well, I've heard a lot of versions of that. Well, let me give you my take. There are an awful lot of Christians who never got sanctified in their will. They still call the shots. They still do what they want to do. Born again, but they're not following in step with what God has for them. And guess what? The Spirit of God is not going to scream and tell you with a big you know, roadblock, stop. He will speak to you and deal with you. But if you want to do something or not pay attention to His will, He will let you. Every part of you needs to be sanctified. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, and you're a piece of work. <laughs> Say that, body, body soul, soul, and spirit. And spirit. So the Spirit of God, my point is, may talk to you about things relative to the use of your body and natural life. The Spirit of God may talk to you about things regarding what you're thinking the Spirit of God may talk to you about how you're letting your emotions run your life. Did Paul not say, let not the sun go down on your wrath? He could have put in any emotion in there that was destructive to your life. Well, who's going to help you with that? Hopefully, you're in a place of relationship with God. The Spirit of God can tell you when your emotions are ruling you instead of the Spirit of God. Amen. Uh, some Christians live with what I call the itch. Every time they have an itch, they go somewhere. Every time they have an itch, they move somewhere. Every time they itch, they change jobs. Every time they have an itch, they do this. God did not send Jesus on the cross for you and for me to die for you and for me and baptize you in the Holy Ghost so that you be led by itch. Get some powder and knock it off. Amen? You're to be led of the Holy Ghost. Because sanctified people are. If the modern church just reduces sanctification as don't have, you know, premarital sex and, and don't have, commit adultery, well, those are perfectly fine things to deal with and most churches won't touch them. So I'll take advantage of it right now and do it. Amen. Keep your pants on. Amen. And if, and if you take them off, make sure you're married to the one. But if you're not careful, you reduce the totality of sanctification to what you do with sexual purity. And that's part of it. But that is far from the totality of what he's trying to do in your life. That's great. So you've been pure with your spouse 50, 60 years until the day you die. That's commendable. And God help us to have more of that in the body of Christ. But guess what? If that same person or couple never gets around to doing the will of God. Amen. They left this place sanctified in the body. Listen, but were they ever sanctified in the will? This line of, of thinking will also keep you from being hyperjudgmental towards other people. If they're having a stronghold with a substance or having a stronghold with some you know, illicit relationship or something they're dealing with, and then you ask yourself, okay, well, what about me? 
You know, how come every time I go through something, I just bail? Does that sound like the Holy Ghost? Does it sound like flesh? Sanctification puts us all in the same boat. The SS, I have not arrived yet. Turn to somebody and tell them, I'm on that boat. But aren't you glad you're making progress? Yes, you are. Go to one more psalm, because David really brings us a lot of revelation here. And then I want to share some principles with you about this. In Psalm 38, again, a psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. How many can get a hold of that one? Listen carefully to this. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Say, his arrows have pierced me. Say that one more time. His arrows have pierced me. This literally indicates that he, when you need redirection regarding your body, your mind, your will, or your emotions, he fires off arrows, not of destruction, but arrows designed to prick your heart over what's going on. That very grace is the mercy of God. There are times when, when you, me, we won't listen to anybody or anything. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Come on, say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. He's active every day in your life. He is with you. When Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, what do you think he was talking about? Can I give you any more, some more encouraging news? You will never be without the Holy Ghost. Not now, not through eternity. But in your life right now, a big part of his function is in sanctifying us, body, soul, and spirit. And I want you to tell you that he is a sin specialist. He's an expert in bringing his people out of various compromises in different dimensions of their life. And understand this, if we are not receiving a rebuke for living in sin... And we're not feeling his arrows of conviction when we cross the line. We're in trouble. Are you here today? I'm not talking about the rebuke of man. I'm saying when the Spirit of God shoots something your way and you're in such a place spiritually, you're in such a place where you can't pick up on that, that's a dangerous place to be. You start to understand what David said when he said, Take not thy Holy Spirit, from me. Don't ever let me be in a position where I no longer feel the arrows or the pangs of conviction. There are so many Christians living this way today. And that is not what God would have for you. You say, well, what if I've gotten a little bit hard, a little bit crusty in this area? It's a good time for you to go home and repent and seek God's face until you feel, Amen that thing falling in your life where you can hear from him. Scripture says in John 16, verse 7, but in fact, 
It is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do not go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And I've heard a lot of people who preach what I would call, I don't want to use the word hyper or anything, because I don't believe anything biblical is hyper. By nature, it is out there. By nature, it is not something man can control or even explain in terms of the depths of God's wisdom. But I will say this, some folks trying to make Christians feel better would say, well, that's not for Christians. That conviction is just for the world. You're not of this world, but you're in this world. And the Spirit of God does convict Christians. And I don't know about you, but from my uh, pastoral perspective, Christians need conviction. That's like saying they all got born again and now they're all perfect. So they don't need any challenge, any correction. That's nonsense. Does the world need correction? Yeah, the child of God does. If we're not supposed to be convicted, then why would the apostle that Jesus loved, why would John say if we confess our sins? He's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. Look at somebody and tell them this isn't rocket science. I know that you sinned after you got saved. Amen. There are people that believe that all the sanctification takes place at that moment, which makes it very difficult to explain how behavior that's contrary to the Word of God is there if you've already been fully sanctified. Let me explain it to you this way. Sanctification is not some pie-in-the-sky concept. Here, if you're thinking this trash on Monday and sanctification happens that week, then by Friday you're not thinking that way anymore. If you're doing something on Monday and you're sanctified, by Wednesday, Thursday, guess what? You're not doing that anymore. It is practical secession from that which wounds the heart of God and drawing unto God. In other words, we're talking about real change here, not theoretical concepts. Look at somebody and say, change. He's changing me. Come on, make that bold declaration. He He is is changing changing me. Who is? The Spirit of God is changing you as you interact and you listen to Him. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now here's something that I want to point out to you, and if you've been saved and you're honest about this, you know that this is true. Raise your hand if the Holy Spirit ever spoke to you after you blew it. Raise your hand if you know distinctly he spoke to you, you you let him have it, you did that thing, you did something that was wrong, you did something that was compromising. Raise your hand again if you know he talked to you, not some person, he talked to you after you did it. Well, here's revelation for you about the sanctifying power of the Spirit of God. If you will listen, he will talk to you before you do it. Okay. I want, to, I want to take the same poll from the same people. And if uh, you're already so uh, you know, holy and righteous that this doesn't apply to you, we just sit there and smile. Amen. <laughs> I'm sure eventually some sermon will relate to you. Couldn't help you out here. 
when you're hearing things that are challenging, and I don't apologize for the word being challenging, the word is the word. And if we rightly divide it as preachers, it's going to be challenging. Not mean, but what? Challenging, which means if you can sit in service after service after service after service after service after service after service and just say, hey, kumbaya, this one doesn't apply to me either. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Look at all these heathen in this church, but this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> and you're good at rolling this over on somebody else. You have a problem either with listening to the Holy Ghost or receiving his arrows. Both are dangerous. We already established that, uh, that nearly everyone in here has had the Holy Ghost talk to them after they blew it. So let me try that one more time. You know the Holy Spirit spoke to you after you blew it. Amen. Yeah, some of you aren't going to raise your hands for nothing. <laughs> Bless your hearts. It's like they've been sewn down to the seats. <laughs> now be honest about this. How many can remember times where before you did it, the Holy Spirit plainly spoke? And what do you do? Come on, what did you do? You did it anyway. But what if we had listened to him? Scripture says, and Paul wrote, he said, no temptation has overcome you. But what is what? Common to man. But God will with what? The temptation provide a way of escape. Do you know where that way of escape comes from for the believer 99.99% of the time? It's that still, small voice telling you, you're getting mad and angry. And you're about to use that mouth in an appropriate way. And the Holy Spirit is saying gently but firmly, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> but you're boiling. And it's great if after, amen, you rip somebody's face off, that you repented. How much better would it have been that you didn't have to repent at all over that? I just can't stop once I get going. That's just not biblically true. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We love that when we're taking a test, solving a problem at work, amen. Running a mile, ran, whatever we're doing, I can do it. I can climb that mountain, hallelujah. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can hear, listen, and obey the Holy Ghost before you blow it. Amen. Before you step across the line physically in a relationship. Before you tell that lie. Before you let somebody have it. Before you gossip. That's how real and present he is. And according to what the Word of God said, he is there. Amen. He is the advocate. How do you believe it? Yes. It's not that he's not there. It's that he is talking proactively. And too often, we don't pay attention to it. 
Is it sanctification? If you do something, repent of it, and he deals with you and you improve? Yeah. But guess what? It's even greater when he deals with you before you did it. Amen. Say that with me. The Holy Ghost will convict you after the fact. But the Holy Spirit will instruct you before the fact. And wouldn't that be a much funner way to live? Now, we talked about how you didn't, how many of you ever had the Holy Ghost tell you to shut it down before and you listened to him? Didn't you want to spike the ball? <laughs> Wasn't that a more peaceable way to live? That's how this process works. Years ago, John Osteen, Jonah Osteen was driving to Lakewood Church, and he was actually late for church, so he's driving down the feeder road, literally way, way, way faster. He should have been 75, 80 miles an hour. He's about to go around the corner, and he hears the Holy Ghost say, you need to slow down. There's a cop there. <laughs> Why would the Holy Ghost do that? Just sheer mercy. Amen. <laughs> just sheer mercy. And he did what a lot of us do. He just kept going. He goes around the bend, and sure enough, the officer clocked him, you know, at a very high speed, and he pulled him over, even more for church. I mean, you don't listen to the Holy Ghost. It makes it worse, not better. Officer walks up to his window, knocks on the window. He rolls it down, license and registration. He goes, uh, you're Pastor Osteen, aren't you, Lakewood Church? And sheepishly, he said, yes. And then Brother Osteen goes, you know, the Holy Ghost told me to slow down that you were up here. He looked at his license, checked his registration, handed the bank and said, next time, Brother Osteen, listen to the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Come on, say it. Listen. Next time, listen to the Holy Ghost. He's always talking. But I want the Holy Ghost when I speak in tongues. Hallelujah. I want the Holy Ghost for power. I want the Holy Ghost for this. I want the Holy Ghost for that. You need the Holy Ghost for sanctification more than you've ever needed. This nation needs sanctification. The believers in this nation need to be sanctified. And the only way that's going to happen is for you and for me to listen to him like never before. Because he is always talking. Amen. The Spirit will speak before the wrongdoing, not just after. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 6 says. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Say it one more time, thank God for the Holy Ghost. You know, we need Him every day, but how many know there are times where we absolutely are in a, in a pivotal situation in life? Do you know that, that one good decision can set yourself up for great success and victory in your life? Amen. And one poor decision can absolutely hold you back. Yes. Amen. Now there's the mercy of God for that. But learning to listen and respond practically so that the body, the mind, the will, and the emotions are all being sanctified. Um, when I was uh, a senior in high school, 
I had made the decision probably about, I don't know, December, January of that year that I was going to go to the College of Charleston in South Carolina. And what I was going to do is they had a they had a joint program where you did three years at the College of Charleston, transferred to the Medical University of South Carolina, and you finished up your fourth year there. And what would normally take eight years, you'd do in seven years. It's designed for people who knew exactly what they wanted to do. And the program was outstanding. And uh, this, is, uh, this is where I was headed. Uh, the only difficult thing about this whole story is that when I was uh, in June of that year, graduate in high school, three days before my high school graduation, I gave my life to the Lord and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, these decisions were already set in motion and already on the way. And so I just carried through with that decision, and I went down to South Carolina. And, um, you know, the first week I was there, I had lunch with the executive vice president of the university. That's how much favor was on my life. When kids were flunking out of English, I had one of the highest GPAs in the school that semester. Um, they elected uh, two people to represent the freshman class on their, on, their, on their student government senate. I was one of those two. I was put on powerful committees, powerful, the most important committee in the whole school, the food service committee. <laughs> As a freshman, I was chairman of the food service committee. And I'm telling you that everything I put my hand to it seemed like it was blessed. Um, there were three or four fraternities that were after me to join. One of them was a fraternity where my brother had actually, uh, as a judicial chairman, actually this man was kicked out of school for cheating on a final exam the year before he was going to go into medical school. And this fraternity thought it would be cool to have me to kind of be a counterpoint to that. And so I, here I am the second, third week, and I am on the, the, the waterfront property of a United States senator at a, at, a, at a barbecue. Uh, none of these things are at all leading me towards spirituality. Amen. But in the natural, everything just seemed perfectly fine. And so when I went there, I, I carefully boxed my Bible up that my mom gave me for my graduation present, you know, and I, I went down there. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the crush of time and everything going on and everything I took on as responsibilities. I also originally went down there to the swim, which I basically dropped because their program was pretty poor and I just didn't have the heart to do it anymore. But there was a lot of things that I was involved in very early on, and God wasn't the highest priority. Oh, I went to church at Lutheran Church downtown with my brother, and I, you know, they had services jointly in English and German. It was fascinating, and the bells sounded beautiful. It was a wonderful thing, but there was no life in me to speak of even after my experience with God. There was no discipleship there. There was no training. There was no development. Everybody say, thank God. Thank God. Say it again. Say, thank God, thank God for the Holy Ghost. But I'm born again, and I'm spirit-filled. And I had nobody to tell me that, hey, you know what? You need to be getting sanctified. And I was doing nothing illicit with my body, doing nothing illicit with my life. I was not involved in anything. But one thing, I was not functioning in the perfect will of God. And I had a little bitty uh, five-inch TV screen. My parents had given me this thing. And I'm sitting there one night in my dorm room. Everybody else had gone off. You know, it's kind of a suitcase college like Murray State is many times. And, you know, it's not a suitcase if you're from Illinois and you're in South Carolina. So there I am. And I turned this on to a very prominent uh, Christian talk show at the time. And, I mean, I listened for four or five minutes and the Holy Ghost took that little bit of a, of a 
particular message on that television. Don't ever knock people on television that are reaching people that you and I can't reach. You're not their Holy Ghost, so just shut it up. Amen. I said just shut it up. If you can't say anything good, don't say nothing at all. Listen to your mama. Just five seconds. And to tell you that the Holy Ghost jumped on me is the understatement of the year. Just like that, wham, the reality of redemption hit me. Everything he had already done hit me. Everything about his presence hit me. The desire for his word hit me. The condition I was in, that I wasn't progressing, hit me. And I sat there on that bed just weeping like a kid. And I remember going out across the street. There's a Methodist church there. And I'm just walking around just praying and crying. You know what I was doing? I was doing the same thing David did. I didn't have a Bathsheba, but I was not sanctified in my thoughts or in my will. And the Holy Spirit was letting me have it. I'm telling you, sometimes y'all need to be decked by the Holy Ghost. And I'm just walking around and I'm praying, I sure, I sure hope you haven't taken your Holy Spirit from me. I sure hope I haven't gone too far. I sure hope I didn't do this and mess everything up, whatever you had for me. And I remember praying that night and the Spirit of God came on me. And the, the test for me was that I still had my prayer language. I still was able to pray in the Holy Ghost. And guess what? He just began to pray in the Holy Ghost, walking around that thing. So thankful that whatever he has started to me, I didn't compromise by my own stupidity. Amen. At that moment, I knew that I was in the wrong place. No disrespect, but growing up, I didn't even know Murray State existed. <laughs> um, everything where I came from was SIU and schools in St. Louis and schools in Chicago. But I had a friend who was, was here, and I, I felt the prompt of the Holy Ghost that this is where I needed to be. And that's when I ran into uh, a table in the Curtis Center that Laura Berry was manning and Susan Davis was, man, was manning and invited me to church and invited me to the campus ministry. I went to both and the rest is history. So listen very carefully what I'm telling you today. If you don't like me as pastor, take it up with the Holy Ghost. He's the one that kicked me out of South Carolina. <laughs> but I learned something. This business of Christian, just do whatever you want to do, go wherever you want to go, be whatever you want to be, that is not a sanctified believer because the will is not sanctified. Don't underestimate the importance of being sanctified in body or renewing your mind, but don't underestimate the importance of being sanctified in your will. God is needing an army of sanctified wills in these last days who will do what he says do. And go where he says go. And speak when he says speak. And pray when he says pray. Amen. And love people in the way that only God can do it. Come on, pray it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly sanctify, me sanctify me in my will, in my will by, the by the Holy Ghost. I did never saw that as, oh, God hates me and how horrible this is. I was a little bit thinking like David. I'm so glad the Holy Ghost is that real. Amen. It wasn't take not thy Holy Spirit from me so that I am godless. It's don't ever leave me in a position where the Spirit of God is not sanctifying me. Even David knew, hey, I've gotten over this one, but there's still stuff to do in my life. Turn to somebody and say, you're on, you're on progress there. But you have a lot to do yet. Amen. And what does he do? 
He takes the love of the Father and the power of the blood of Jesus and the separating power of the Word and the voice of the Holy Ghost in His presence to sanctify you, to separate you and me from what? From what the world wants for you and what you think you want for you, to do the things you're actually called to do. There's so many people in the body of Christ that are self-directed. And they'll talk about all kinds of other sins and all kinds of other issues, but the sin of self-direction in the end days is pretty significant. Amen? It's time to be led of the Holy Ghost. And the only way to do that is to have a sanctified will. Say it with me. Sanctified spirit, soul, and body. It's like Brother Osteen, next time, Listen to the Holy Ghost. Turn to somebody and tell them that. Next time, Next time listen, 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 listen to the Holy Ghost. Amen. There are people out there that, that are truly in need and suffering right now. And you may be the bridge for them back to a place of health and life. Amen. You never know. Amen. But at any rate, I... Uh, I told my parents, I said, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm transferring uh, out of College of Charleston. They were kind of confused about that, but they've always been supportive. And so they were like, okay, mom just ran around telling everybody that I missed her. <laughs> <laughs> he was homesick. <laughs> well, there was a little of that, but there was a, this other thing as well. And I came on campus, amen, got involved, and uh, God began to redirect and change. And, you know, there are pivotal times like that for all of us. But the last thing you want to do at that moment is shut down and quench that voice that's trying to sanctify you. You know, one of the most powerful teachings I've ever heard about sensitivity to the Spirit, you know, Creflo was teaching about this. And God, he said, God wants us to be like barefooted priests walking in the darkness. And they take a step and they feel what's underneath their foot. Is it safe? Is it cool? Is it correct? Is it firm? Same thing with the next foot. That's how we need to be with the Spirit of God. Good. Amen. Because He's there. He's just not always listened to. Amen. How many believe that God loves you today? Amen. Aren't you glad you have the Father's love? Yes. Aren't you glad you have the blood of Jesus? Aren't you glad you have the Word of God? You also have the Spirit of God. Who's actively longing to sanctify you, not harm you, not condemn you. That's not what he does. He's longing to bring sanctification into your life. Amen. And guess what? He knows you better than anybody. Yes, amen. What's your job as a believer? Respond to those graces. Respond to the Father's love. Respond to what the blood of Jesus will do, not just after, but before you make the mistake. Respond by staying in the Word of God and letting it separate you. Respond when the Holy Ghost is talking to you, not just after you blow it, but before. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? You can receive that. Give him a big hand clap and thank him today. <laughs>